please turn with me to Psalm 127. We'll read that text together in just a moment. Psalm 127. I can remember pretty well the moment that I first had an interest in history on a, on a conscious level. The history really caught my attention. I was 13 years old, and my father, who loved history, he was a history buff, uh, he took my family to an historical park in San Jose, California, where I grew up. And it was designed to, to look like an authentic uh, 19th century town, especially in the West. Um, they had brought in all sorts of Victorian homes, especially, and they had an old-fashioned blacksmith shop with a blacksmith, and he'd come and make you nails and little things, and they had an old-fashioned printing press. It was all set up to look like an authentic 19th century town, and I loved it. Uh, I'd been there uh, several times. Every school kid in, that, in the area will go there on field trips and different things like they might go to the Biltmore here. But that particular weekend that we went, really, there was something special going on that had an impression, that made an impression upon me. And it was a Civil War reenactment, complete with authentic camps and all the things that you would expect. You could walk through and see their tents and see how they cook and get to sort of experience um, the period of the mid-19th century for a weekend. And I was fascinated, just as a 13-year-old boy, I was fascinated by how different life seemed to be just 130 years earlier. Not all that long when you think about the long span of history. It was like entering into another world for me. And that is the power of history. It allows us to look back on where we've come from. It teaches us how we got to where we are. And it can provide insights about where we are going. That's the power of history. As valuable as it is to study history on this most basic level, just looking at the past and saying what happened and why, there's a lot of value in that. But as Christians, we also recognize that there's something deeper at work in history, which we call providence. Divine providence. We know that history is not the product merely of blind fate, forces out there in the universe. It's not endlessly cyclical, just sort of repeating events in sort of a new, in a new phase. We know better than that. And we know that it is not ultimately self-determined as much as that sort of pushes against our own instinct for ourselves. The Bible declares that Yahweh, the God of creation, is the ruler of history, the ruler of all history. All the more as we recognize that we live in an age when God's kingdom has come. We as Christians understand more fully where history is headed, more than anyone else before Christ came could have ever understood. We've become aware of what God is doing, including the part that his people play in this great story of the world's history. Today we have the opportunity of reflecting upon 80 years of ministry in this congregation. Officially established June 8th, 1941. As you read through that, insert in the bulletin. Again, I hope you'll do that later if you haven't already. You'll get to see some of the history of the church. And you'll see several points along the way about buildings being erected and things being remodeled and lots purchased and so forth. But these things aren't the church. A building is something a church has. A building and a property is something a church uses. They're a blessing and they're a stewardship. But the church comes into existence, when, and it only continues to exist, when a group of people covenant together as a local body of believers. And for us, we first did this 80 years ago this very week. I'd like to read a text that has echoed in my mind as I prepared for the service, even going back several weeks. I've titled this message, Unless the Lord Builds It. Look at Psalm 127, just one verse. 
Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. One more time. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. In 1941, Buncombe County looked different than it does today. Today, Buncombe County has a population of about 266,000 as of 2021. We're not a huge county. We're not the most populous. There's several other in North Carolina that would have a much larger population. But in 1941, there was less than half, quite a bit less than half as many people. That's a significant change in 80 years. Asheville as a city was about half its current size. And the immediate community where we, are, where we are, ultimately this neighborhood, was thoroughly rural 80 years ago. Many of you have, have deep roots in the community and have, have heard and have, have even witnessed a large portion of that, the changes that have occurred over the decades. But looking out more broadly, and we have to do this historically to understand what happened here at Starnes Cove, we have to look out more broadly. This was a period of surging growth for Southern, growth for Southern Baptists and for many evangelicals. There was great energy to plant new churches and to grow and extend existing churches, and they did just that. If you sampled through Baptist churches across the South, you'd find many of them were established in these years, especially from the mid-1940s and through the 1960s. Large numbers of them established in those years. And so with the expansion of churches, there was a surging need for ministers, more people to serve the churches. And so in that era... Half of our Southern Baptist seminaries were founded, three of the six, including our Baptist seminary here in North Carolina in Wake Forest, founded in 1950. So this was a time of energy and ambition, godly ambition. And by God's grace, we are beneficiaries of that movement, of that impulse. There were already several Southern Baptist churches in Asheville at this time. First Baptist, of course, goes back to 1829. You think about that, that's quite a legacy, 200 years nearly since 1829. Many of the smaller towns in the area had a Baptist church, but there was not one in Starnes Cove. There was no Baptist work here. And so there was a group of believers here that recognized this and felt, felt the emptiness of that here, and they desired to do something about it. And so they began meeting as a Sunday school in a house not far from here, and this was a common method of establishing churches at the time, to come together as a Sunday school as, as sort of an initial group of, of trying to gain interest. You, you might know that Sunday schools were originally founded as really an outreach to children, especially in urban areas, uh, to teach children how to read. That's why it was called the Sunday school. It was an outreach to young children especially, but it eventually evolved, evolved to include adults. But the group that met here in Starnes Cove, they have more in mind with this gathering. They hoped that it would become something more. They were dreaming that it would become something more. They dreamed of establishing a church right here in their own community where they were invested, where they ultimately had such a heart. Very often, the founding of a church begins with some big catalyst, some, some impulse that ultimately ignites what is already there. After several months of Sunday school meetings, two ministers came to the community to hold a tent revival. You know that that was a popular means of outreach at the time. Uh, many of you have probably even been to tent revivals and know what that looks like or at least have some conception of what that was. Well, and it was that revival that was held here that proved to be the necessary catalyst that consolidated that core group of believers and added to it, ultimately founding these members of Starnes Cove Baptist Church. From where we stand, it's easy for us to overlook a really important point here, though. 
really easy. That when this founding group covenanted together, there was no guarantee that this would produce a lasting work. Plenty of people would try and come and go, and plenty of things ultimately might last for a little bit, but not ultimately really take hold. It took passion, and it took dedication. They were making a statement when they gathered together to covenant together in this neighborhood. It would take a long sense of resolve, not only the beginning, but to see it through. But more importantly, more importantly, they had to know, and I believe that they did know, that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. As crucial as these founding members were, there's another vital element to this story. A group of like-minded churches in the area rallied around this new work to support its founding. They gave of their own resources. This is the very reason that Southern Baptists exist as a convention of churches, ultimately, and have existed throughout our history, to pool our resources together and our manpower together to do ministry at home, to extend the reach of ministry at home, and to do missions abroad. As we look at it, this was an interesting collection of churches that joined together. The first was Calvary Baptist Church on Haywood Road, very much your sort of legacy Southern Baptist Church. And there was West Asheville Baptist Church, not far away, also on Haywood Road. There was New Morgan Hill Baptist Church, which is now Lake Hills Church. And there was what is now Irwin Hills Baptist Church on Leicester Highway. I think at that time it was on Patton Avenue. Its original name was Patton Avenue Baptist Church. Each of these churches represented, and actually still to this day represent, a very unique slice of Baptist life. They are not one and the same. And even then, it was an eclectic mix of congregations. What did they have in common, though? What would bring them together to do this work? Well, they had a shared desire to see a fresh work established, and they gave of their own resources to make it happen. We have much to be thankful for. And I hope that this will inspire us, and this is just a thought on the side, I hope that this will inspire us to think hard about what we can do to pay it forward. When was the last time that we gave for a new work to be started? This was not only something back then, but there is still great need. In fact, there is more need statistically for new works today. I hope that this is just something, just sort of a seed planted in our our minds. It certainly has been in my own heart as I think about this. We have much to be thankful for and in terms of these founding members, in terms of these other churches who, who gave of their, their resources. But let us not forget the words of the psalmist here. That unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. In other words, unless God is in it, nothing else matters. The church called a man named Ralph Hensley as its first pastor. And in the bulletin insert, you'll see this list of men who have served as senior pastors here. Each of them have had their own gifts and their own contribution, uh, their own background, the way that God has shaped them and ultimately used them in the seasons that they served here. Some of them served for a relatively short time and some longer. I think we especially think of Charlie Sams, my immediate predecessor, who served here for more than three decades as a pastor. Now, I don't have to tell you how important how pivotal it is when we think about the pastor, the role of pastor in the health and and vision of a church. It is absolutely decisive. But there's nothing more important to remember than this. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. 
As we look back, I believe we can see God's hand of providence in the, the, the blessing of this new church. It began growing, not dramatically. We're not talking about surging growth. We've never been a mega church, but it grew. Lost people made professions of faith and people were baptized and people were discipled. The work extended. A structure was built and lots were joined and a parsonage was added. All good things. I can imagine the the excitement that this must have brought to those who were here at the time. All of this seemed to be a sign of God's favor and surely God was in it. But there were also trials ahead. The 1960s was a tumultuous time within the Southern Baptist Convention. Just as it was in American society as a whole, it was just a tumultuous period. There were tensions within the denomination that were getting harder to ignore. They weren't new but they were, were getting harder to ignore. And they were related to, honestly, to genuine, um, sincere theological concerns within a denomination. Which way are we going to go theologically? There, there were leaders in the convention that had um, progressive views that were quite contrary to historic Baptist and Christian doctrine. And so it was causing quite a bit of stir. In response, some churches began to leave the SBC to become independent Baptist churches, and many churches here in our area did just that. You can go back at their histories and see when they did. Howard Laney was the pastor at this time in the 1960s, and his leadership proved to be pivotal for maintaining our fellowship and cooperation with Southern Baptists when so many others were vying to leave. Had that bond not held, we can only imagine that the church's history would have looked notably different. I can just tell you that as someone who studies church history, that it would have been a different trajectory for the church. In God's providence, he steadied the ship. I think we can all look at defining moments in our lives where we we had to make a decision. We could have gone one way. Things could have gone the other way, one path or the other. Well, this is one of those episodes in the life of this church. And God steadied, and we continued on. Thinking about what this means at a deeper level, every faithful church has to acknowledge that God himself, that it is God himself who is at work in the life of the church. That it is God's hand that providentially guides and protects and blesses and also judges. Because ultimately, here is that verse one more time, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Once we got into the late 1960s and into the 70s, uh, many of our members, many of you perhaps even, have personal knowledge of this period. Pastor Jesse Head led a period of growth in terms of administration, especially organization and growth in that way. This was a period of growth for many evangelical churches in America and many Baptist churches. And at this time, there are reasons behind this, I guess I would want to say. At this time, going to church carried a a level of social respectability. There was social capital to be gained by being a church person. It would do you good in your life and society publicly. Even if it's not that everyone went to church, there's never been a time in American history where everyone went to church, far from it. But it seemed like everyone thought it was a good thing to do. Hey, I, I may not go to church, but I respect you for being a church person. You know, and families were larger then. I mean, you can just look at the statistics, honestly. Even just look at your family history, people had more children. It was, families were much larger at the time. There were ample kids for our children's ministries and our youth ministry. 
Sunday schools grew and buses pulled around the community and picked up kids. And and at that time, parents didn't think anything to send off their kids. They might not go to church, but they'll gladly send off their kids in a bus to go to church for a while. It was an exciting time. And there was much to be thankful for. And many churches were really able to ride this wave right through the 1980s. Even at this point, in what seemed for many like like a golden age for churches in America, care needs to be given to remember that no matter what the season, whether a season of plenty or scarcity, whether a season of initial growth to sustaining, enduring growth, only God can build a church. Faithfulness means depending on him. Faithfulness means recognizing that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Now, hear me carefully here. None of this takes away from our responsibility to labor faithfully and zealously. Part of what I want you to hear is that, the importance of that. But what it does is it situates God's providence as primary, always primary in our work as secondary and dependent upon his. In 1986, Charlie Sams became the pastor, and most of you know the story from here. Charlie was a faithful shepherd for more than 30 years. He baptized many of you, performed your weddings, discipled you, walked with you through crises, was with you at your bedside when you were in the hospital. He was a steady hand and a trusted friend and continues to be a trusted friend for so many in our church. And he continues on in faithful ministry right now. But during Charlie's tenure, the community began evolving. I've spent many hours talking to Charlie about this and and doing my own work on it. The quiet mountain community began to grow, especially in the 1990s and surging into the early 2000s. Asheville seemed to stretch out further and further with each passing year with what seemed to be a distant place was all of a sudden right at our doorsteps. Older families moved out of the neighborhood for, for various reasons and new people moved in. And very often these people looked different. They spoke a different language, some of them. Many of them came from different parts of the country and even different countries altogether. Homelessness became a growing concern in the area. Even as, ironically, homes seemed to be popping up all over the place, subdivisions and houses and apartments. In 2021, the world looks different now than it did 80 years ago. Our neighborhood looks different than it did even 20 years ago. If there was a time when all you had to do was open up the church doors and and people seemed to come, those days are behind us. If there was a time when your neighbor automatically respected you for going to church, well, those days are fading fast. If there were days when most people in our community looked the same and spoke the same and voted the same way that we do, Those days are past. Add to this the impact of a year and a half of pandemic, which is really fresh on our minds even still. Churches are wondering, what does this mean for our ministry and, and for the future of our work in the church? What does all this mean for us as Starnes Cove Baptist Church today, 80 years from our beginning? Well, this brief history at the church, I think, can help us to look ahead also to the future. Because this foundational principle stands. Hear it this way. 
If the Lord builds the house, those who build it, those who labor, will not do so in vain. We have much to thank God for. We owe a debt of gratitude to the original members who had the vision and the nerve and the grit to establish a church. We owe much to the churches who gave financially to establish a new work in our community that was without a Baptist church. We are in the debt of those members and workers and leaders and teachers and pastors, all of those who advanced our church over eight decades. I think there's much here that I hope will help inspire us to plod on, to push forward. That's, that's a secondary application here, but it is an important one. I hope that this would inspire us to push forward with that same grit and nerve and energy. But above and beyond anything else, let's remember that there is only one who can truly cause a church to prosper. Now, you might be thinking here, hear me carefully, we can draw a crowd, but we cannot build a church. We can erect buildings and meet a budget, but God alone can raise up a church and he alone can sustain a church. He alone will judge a church for its relative faithfulness. He will be the one to judge our faithfulness. That's where it gets really personal, doesn't it? Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Now this proverb has broad application, but nowhere is this more true than with the work of the church. Unless the Lord builds the church, we will labor in vain. But with God's blessing, we cannot fail. Honestly, in some ways, ministry will look different in the 2020s than it did in the 1940s and in the 1980s. But our God has not changed. That must be a comfort to you. Our God has not changed. The world changes, times come and go, but our God has not changed. And our calling and our stewardship hasn't changed either. If we will look to Christ, if we will follow after him, decades from now, if the Lord tarries, the people of Starnes Cove Baptist Church will look back on our time, especially I think they'll, they'll think about this pandemic era, but they will look back on our time with the same gratitude that we have as we've reflected on our own forebearers. Every one of you is a part of this ongoing story. It's not just for deacons or paid staff or a pastor. Every one of you is a part of this ongoing story. And so I urge you, I exhort you to rise to the occasion Link arms with your brothers and sisters in this church as we apply ourselves to the sacred task of ministry and worship. As we look to the past, we thank God. As we look to the future, we set our eyes on the one who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Matthew 16, 18. As we take this time to respond now, it is only appropriate that we would thank God for his gracious providence over these 80 years. That, I think that is a, a necessary response as we're gathered together today. And then secondarily, secondly, let's call out to God to renew his blessing as we look ahead at the days and the years to come. As we have a hymn of invitation, we will sing, Have thine O way, O Lord.
seated. And we're going to close with a prayer in just a moment from Vic Rhodes. And as Vic's coming, I'll just remind you what we would love for you to stay with us for our dinner. Uh, many of you have come maybe who have just been guests or haven't been with us in a long time. We would love and just delight for you to stay in the fellowship with us. Brother, would you come and close us in prayer? It has been a blessing to be with you. May the Lord bless you, and I hope to fellowship with you later. Excuse me, Paul, before we close, uh, I would like to recognize Carolyn Wells, if she will stand. She was our secretary. Her father was also Howard Laney. Okay, and her daughter is here with her. You want to stand? Okay, and Jeff, Jeff Wells, you want to stand? Jeff's mother and dad were very instrumental in the educational building and under care. We got anybody else here that's been away for a while? Andy Walter. Andy Walter. Andy, stand, let him get a look at you. Glad to have you. Let us pray. Lord, I want to thank you for building this house. Thank you for 80 years of, of blessings. A lot of heartache, a lot of troubles, but it, it, you're here. And it's just great to be here. And Lord, we pray for many, many more years of blessings from you. And let us spread the word. Let us do the Great Commission. I pray for uh, just just salvation and pray for you to be with us as we go out in the world and, and and be able to spread the word and just talk to talk to people and tell them what the good news is that the things you've done for us and also this morning i pray your blessings on the homecoming meal and all these i i pray in jesus name amen thank you make sure on your way out the